Where do agencies get their jobs? Where do the bill rates oftentimes come from? What is a vendor? We're going to talk about this new slice of pie. And I say new, I'm talking about the last 20 years, maybe slightly less, maybe 15 to 20 years. There's been a new slice of the pie that was carved out. Doesn't go to you guys, doesn't go to the agency, doesn't go to Uncle Sam. We're going to talk about vendors on this week's edition of Travel Evolved. It's Travel Evolved. Welcome to the episode, everybody. I am Mark Holloway, your host. Got a big one for you today. We're talking about vendors. It's a tough one. It's a tough one for me to talk about. And we'll hear why as the episode continues and as I go into this episode. But I'm kind of excited about this one uh, because this is an area that most travelers are incredibly unfamiliar with and I think it's gonna be really helpful this kind of goes along those lines I always talk about of where we kind of start to explain a little bit of our side of this which I do think helps you this is this is not to justify anything I just think you guys need to know this because it allows you a fuller picture of the travel cycle which I do believe is going to be very very helpful for you to understand how bill rates and pay rates are distinguished who's getting parts of the pie I know I talked about the pie and I talked about vendors previously but we're going to delve into it deeply today because it's it's a good conversation and one I think again this is a must listen to uh, on Travel Evolve. So, as always, thank you guys immensely for your subscriptions. Thank you for sharing this, by the way. I've uh, been noticing that our subscription rates are going up. We're not doing an awful lot of advertising for Travel Evolve, except for, I think, on TikTok. There's some stuff that's going on there. It's kind of hard to do TikTok because we're really trying to promote next-gen MedStep, but they're also throwing in some things on this, so it's a little weird to me. But I trust the youngins that know <laughs> how this stuff works in social media. Um, and a good thing is they're not asking me to do a bunch of stuff above and beyond what I've already done, so they're taking some things apart on these episodes, which is kind of cool. So thank you guys for sharing the news and uh, kind of sharing this this Travel Evolved with some of your fellow travelers. It It's, it's where we're going to grow, and it's what really rewards us. If I saw the numbers tapering off or even, you know, actually worse going down we'd probably stop doing because it would tell me that we're clearly not you know hitting an audience the fact that we're just continually rising uh consistently over time uh, i think it really kind of goes to to show that i think this is something you guys are looking for and i've always said this is not the epitome of your traveling healthcare education what we're always offering you guys is is a different side a different scope of things that i don't believe you're truly going to get honestly 
in a transparent way anywhere else. So still obviously down here in beautiful sunny Florida. Matter of fact, good thing those bamboo trees are kind of hiding some of this because it's going to hit me right in the eyes pretty soon. Um, but we had to knock these out because we're going to be going out as a team tonight and hitting the lower southern Gulf Coast of Florida. It is a Friday when we're recording this, probably not a Friday when we're airing this, but um, we've really enjoyed our time here. I think we're going to probably have time to do uh, one more episode before we head back to Colorado, and a couple people are heading further on back to L.A. So um, we're going to try to knock out one more of these. I just love this environment. It's been a very, very productive, incredibly successful time spent here. That's why I've extended it a little bit, so... At any rate, it's, it's just been fun. But tonight, we're actually going to go out and, and reward ourselves a little bit. Uh, we're going to take the team out for a nice dinner because it may be the last weekend we're here because I think that we're leaving on a Thursday. So a little less than a week, about six days, is, is the some of the flights are scheduled. So some of the teams will be heading out there. I think I'm one of them because i got to get back uh, get some things ready for the next leg, which is going to be 60 days later heading out to California. So... Enough about our personal trip and traveling and stuff, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to knock this out before we, I met everybody out, so I'm going to try to do it as effectively as I can. The first thing I want to say about vendors is I challenge you to find anybody from our side of the industry who is willing to actually openly talk about vendors because they don't want to. They're scared to say anything negative about them. And like all of us, vendors have their pros and their cons. This is not an episode to beat them up. It's not an episode for me to pat them on the back. It's part of the process. It's part of the, the pie. It's part of our world. And it's and it's time we talked about it so you guys understood what it is that they do, uh, some of the things that they help and assist with, some of the things that they actually hinder with. It's just an honest conversation that we have to have so you guys get it. So what surprises me, I shouldn't say it surprises me, I'm not surprised actually that nobody's willing to openly talk about vendors because what is a vendor? Let's just kind of start off with that. A vendor is, there's two different types, but typically they are the ones that hold the contract and in one way, shape, or form, they award them to a huge number of us agencies, whether they are staffing the contract themselves in addition or they're simply a... A, a liaison between a hospital and a whole bunch of, of agencies that are going to compete for the jobs that those hospitals have. One way, shape, or the other, that's what they do. And that's, what they, that's how they are. So that is a, a, a relatively new wrinkle. I'll talk about the history of them here in a little bit. But because they control who has the contracts is why so many agencies are deathly afraid to say anything bad about them. And there is bad. There's, there, there, listen, it's, 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 it's not like anything else. You can say you're good and bad about an agency because there are absolutely bad parts about having to work through a travel staffing company to find employment. Oh, I'm hooked up to the I'm hooked up to the hut there. So I, I'm like, why is my phone so loud? I'll just turn that off. I must hit that with my knee and my Bluetooth. Sorry. We were jamming to some music earlier and I was You get it. <laughs> so anyway, um that's why people don't want to openly talk about it because they, they just would say, oh, they, you know, they are, they're great. They do these wonderful things. Well, they do. and it is, But it's part of the process. It is the fourth slice of the pie. When we talk about the pie and the pie being the bill rate, I've always said, you know, the first slice that I always usually discuss is, in fact, that vendor fee. And it's usually about 5% of the bill rate. That's what these agencies, these companies, I should say, and agencies get paid to basically have and hold the contract that they farm out to all of us, whether they're, like I say, whether they're staffing themselves, and there's a lot of, of 
uh, vendors who are their own agency. And there's vendors who don't do any staffing. They don't do any recruiting. And they simply just take that 5% off of every hour that you work um, and that they build, that we build a hospital as their fee for um, being able to do the things that they do, and which we're going to talk about pretty pretty openly. So because they control the money and the reward for who gets to play with that system or with that hospital, most agencies are afraid to say anything about the process that makes it, that makes it bad, makes it tough. And I'm not because I think that. Any vendor that listens to me and listens to it openly would say, yeah, he's kind of right because that is part of what we do well and there are some things that we don't do as well. So it's it's tough for them to have an honest conversation and nothing like that is tough for me. I've always said nothing's off limits. So if I'm going to say nothing's off limits, that has to include vendors too. I can't be saying most things are off limits, but I'm not going to talk about you know the ones that basically pay our bills, which is what a vendor kind of does. Sorry, a bunch of racing around here on a Friday night going on with motorcycles and drag racing on the other side of the bay here. So um, here's the, the fact. An agency, most agencies, I should say, are pretty willing to talk about the pros in which uh, and how vendors have made things simpler and easier and a little more streamlined for hospitals and for you to go to work for us or through us at that particular facility. The, the fear obviously comes from them talking about you know, what it does that actually deters from that process. So here's what I'll say. Vendors are part of the system. They are part of our industry. They are here to stay for now. I will admit to you guys, I mean, sometimes I always say, well, you know, I was right about this, I was right about that. And I do like to pat myself on the back because I like to prognosticate on some things. And on occasion, I'm right about them. Here was one that I was absolutely 100% incorrect about. When vendors first came into the, the picture, and again, this is, I'll go into the history, but they were not part of the, the process when I first got in this industry. There was no such thing as a vendor. You just worked directly with the hospital, and the hospitals worked directly with however many agencies they wanted to work with, and they had a staffing coordinator or someone in HR or someone in the unit that would promote their, you know, tell us what their jobs were and what the bill rates were going to be for those. When vendors came into the picture, I was on record, and I, don't, I wasn't doing any social media back then, but I remember saying very specifically that I was, 100% convinced that they wouldn't last, that it, the industry would not be able to handle the, um, the bill rate that's, in the, uh, that's, that's part of that process. So that's not in there. In other words, what I'm saying is that I felt that the bill rates couldn't handle another piece of the pie being pushed out, if that makes sense. And I said, there's no way. I mean, even, even, by the way, this is back when they were at 2%. 2% of the, of the, you know, the, the bill rate, I thought, and this is back, you know, in the early 90s, I said, that's a lot. It's a lot of money. And it is now money that agencies are not able to use to dangle carrots and to, you know, put on compensation for travelers. So it's going to hurt. And I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong about that. The bill rates went up to encompass those rates. Hospitals typically were unaware of, of why the rates were increasing because hospitals don't really get how the vendor works. I think most hospitals don't truly don't really think about the dollars that are being spent through them, which is a wonderful thing for the vendors. They don't want them to think about that because it does cost fulfillment for sure. But I was absolutely 100% incorrect when I said that I felt that the vendor fee would be something that would paralyze the industry to a point that it, that it wouldn't sustain itself. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And I, I know I can see now what happened. And I just, like I said, it was just that 
as the vendor percentages increased, those rates increased, it changed so subtly that hospitals didn't really recognize what it was that was changing. I think they just felt that the rates were going up and not that more and more was needed to be spent in order to carve out a higher and higher uh, piece of the pie for those vendors. So they're part of the industry right now, and, and we'll talk a little bit down the road if I think they're going to be here forever. Um, I, I was wrong about how long they were going to be here, so I guess I'll see if I can be wrong uh, on whether or not I think they're going to stay. But um, they're here for right now. They are solidified heavily into our system. And every time, theoretically, that you guys take a contract, there are two entities that are being paid and if you want to say three, Uncle Sam, but besides the government on your taxes, there are two entities typically that are being compensated out of that bill rate before it gets to you, and that is the travel agency and oftentimes the vendor. If the vendor has a direct contract, I'm sorry, if the agency has a direct contract themselves, then that piece of pie is obviously eliminated, but that really happens only with the big, big companies. And we also know with those big, big companies, they tend to have the biggest margins, which means there's not a lot of difference in what you guys see left over. What typically goes to a vendor, if it's a direct bill with one of the big, big companies, just gets you know encapsulated into their margin, and the pay rate seems to be the same, if actually not even decrease a little bit. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things go. But I have a couple theories that I, I hope to get to on this episode. So here's what I want to start off with. Like I said, when I got in this industry... 23 and a half years ago I feel like like when you're a kid you want to be like I'm 10 and a half because I know I keep telling you how long I've been in this industry and I, I've gone back and some of the things I saw on TikTok said you know we've been in here I've been here doing this for 21 years I'm like well not anymore it's definitely increased you know pretty substantially since then so um, it's interesting to watch that happen so in November that's when I, it has been 23 years so it is now March of 2023 so it has been 23 years when i got in this industry no vendors like i said what would happen is our account managers would pick up the phone and they would start calling hospitals and hospital systems and they would say hey we really want to work with you we've got x amount of travelers in california that you know let's say in the bay area that are interested in coming to work we can see we can fulfill would you let us become part of your basically what was an emailing list which was how hospitals communicated with us every so often few days maybe once a week we get a list of the open needs through an email. And you could actually see on it before people were smart enough to realize how to blind CC, but you could actually see on those emails exactly how many vendors, or I'm sorry, I keep doing that, how many agencies were on that list. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. But those hospitals would communicate directly with us. We have a, you know, let's say we had back, I'm going back to those, those rates. We had a $70, you know, bill rate in the ICU here in the Bay Area of California. Yes, that was a real figure back then. And we need 10 travelers in our ICU for these two hospitals. So please start sending us your candidates. And we would email our profile packets and our profile packages of a traveler over with all their contact information and the very small packets those used to be, which is what used to be just a resume and a skills checklist, I think, wasn't all the stuff that's required now. And we would email them to the person that the, it was the contact at the hospital. And again, hospitals were run differently. Sometimes it was a internal recruiter. We saw that where um, a recruiter would also kind of communicate and be the liaison for the positions. Oftentimes it would go into HR. The bigger hospitals had their own person. The really big hospitals had many people, like you had somebody in the ICU that, that was a that was an ICU um, administrative, you know, assistant type helper person, and you had the same kind of thing in the ED, and you had somebody else in the med surge departments that would communicate those directly. 
It's a Friday night. Speaking of EDs and communicating directly. So there were some wonderful things about those days. One of the things that I, I, that I think I will, I will talk about frequently on, on today's episode is that you started to really understand how the hospital ebbed and flowed. You got to know these people. They got to know you. They could literally say, Mark, we really need these 10 ICU nurses. And you could go to your recruiting team and say, hey, guys, this is my, you know, my good friend here, you know, and, and I really need some help getting these things done. Can you guys, you know, it's good rate. We talk about the rates, what we could offer. And, you know, the recruiting team would oftentimes, you know, I could hear them. They'd be making some calls because they, they had had successes there. They knew a good facility and a good location. So they were pretty open and willing to work hard for those facilities that, that rewarded our our travelers with a good work environment and a good high pay rate. So it was a really nice, in my opinion, good ebb and flow in back in those days. I missed that part of it immensely. Um, I have to talk about the other side of the coin, and I do think that back then the the efficiency of what that would look like was was very, very old school, kind of like what we're doing with our app and that sort of thing. And we had to recognize, and I think a lot of people did, that communicating to that many different agencies and having that many different, you know, it's one thing to communicate one way, but of course, every one of those agencies was communicating back, maybe asking questions, maybe, you know, following up, how's, you know, are you interested in my candidate? You know, the interview and, you know, they're going to make an offer. And there was a lot of two-way communication, which I'm sure really bogged those folks down, which doesn't exist now with a vendor in the middle of it. So that was difficult. I think that the speed in which they would release their jobs was slower. So it was email. You would email, and then the email would communicate with the person that was receiving your typical account manager. And, and, you know, that account manager can only handle so many different accounts. So you had to have more account managers, so to speak, to be able to handle just the volume of correspondence, if that makes sense. So it, it was a lot of work, and there was definitely, because of how things worked back then, there was a lot of delay in communication. Uh, everything was done by email, and, um, you know, you just kind of had to, be aware. And I, I mean, it's been so long that I don't really remember how we would communicate that to our recruiting team. If we had literally, I wouldn't be surprised if we literally were working off Excel spreadsheets back then. M- most ha- had some type of software, whether it was a, you know, a, a um, you know, a Salesforce type act, ACT, those kind of things that would kind of organize all your candidates. I believe that's what we were, yeah, I used to have a lot of our, our companies would work off of. It was kind of a pre-made thing where you could keep everyone organized and give you the reminders you needed to do. But it was kind of a, a very archaic way of communicating, much like I believe recruiters are archaic now. I mean, we're just speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, and becoming more and more efficient. This was one of those areas that I believe that a vendor really enhanced, the, these vendors really enhanced the, the industry. Things moved faster. Things moved much, much quicker. You needed... You know, one person at your facility to, in a one-way fashion, communicate the needs, be able to show what the bill rates were going to be, throw those out there, and, and a vendor then would take them and communicate them through their website or through their, you know, their platform and say, here's the, you know, the 10 jobs we got in from this facility. And all of us agencies that were associated with that vendor and had a contract with that, a vendor would then see them and jump through hoops to get it all done. So there was a lot of speed in which the communication aspect, I think, became much more effective and much more efficient. And that's what vendors basically said. All this communication that you're doing through all these facilities, what if we, and I guess I should have backed up and said this earlier, what if we created a a website or what if we had a website in our company that we could show not only this facility, but every facility, we can go out and grab all these different facilities and 
put them all in one place where we could then subcontract these out. We could take a fee, even if it's only like 1% or 2%, and it was back in those days, and we could make money and not have to be throwing out that, that crazy cash for payroll, and all we have to do is be the recipient of the money. This sounds pretty good. And it, it was. I mean, what, what a remarkable idea, a great way to make money, um, and it was a phenomenal way to streamline the process. But I think you guys can understand that when I looked at, and by the way, it used to be 1%, 2%. The average now is 5 to 6%, which doesn't sound like a lot. But on a $100 bill, we're talking about 5 bucks an hour. We'll talk about some numbers here in a little bit. When I saw those numbers start to escalate, that's when I said, there's no way. There's no way that, that hospitals are going to continue to be able to, to, to pay this. But what happened was, as the rates went from 70 to 80 to 85, and the margins went from 2 to 3 to 5%, I don't think hospitals really understood what was creating the lack of fulfillment. They were just saying, hey, the bill rates are going up. These, these darn trailers are requiring more and more money, which was true. I mean, just simple cost of living and, and having things get more and more expensive every year was one thing. But they also didn't kind of see, and I don't believe hospitals to this day really understand, that on a $100 bill rate, if there is a 5% fee, that really what an agency is working with is only $95, which, again, doesn't sound like a lot of money. But hospitals don't think about it. There's 5 bucks. In this example, every hour for every single employee that's on a $100 bill rate that we have working at our facility that's not going to that agency that staffed it, it's not going to that traveler who's working it, more importantly, it's going to a third party for basically holding the contract and communicating it. And I'm, I'm, I'm downplaying what they do immensely, but that's kind of the overall gist of it. And I think that's how hospitals started realizing that, or just, I guess I shouldn't say started realizing, were lack of realizing why the rates were eking up slowly. It probably made sense that they were going up. I don't know if they really knew or were informed that it was also going up because the vendor fees were, were increasing, you know, relatively largely. And um, along with those vendor fees, I will justify and say more and more responsibility uh, was, was, was being conducted and provided for by the vendor. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. So pretty clever of them to say, you know, we can manage this for you. And here's where I, I would imagine the conversation went. Hey, if we could have you not have to have your person communicate with all these knucklehead agencies and all that work, and you could actually even not have to have a person that you're paying to do all this work inefficiently, if we could take that over for you and literally now have you work with three to four times the number of agencies, which is going to guarantee your fulfillment, and you wouldn't see one penny difference in you, the bill rates that you were paying, would that be something of interest to you? I'm sure the answer was absolutely, and that's exactly what they did. So they said, okay, we're taking our, let's say it was only $50 an hour, and we're only going to charge an agency $2.50 for our 5% fee, which means they're still going to get it. It just means that they were the agency now was able to play with about $2.50 less money, which if you figure taxes and everything else, probably meant about a $2 an hour difference in what they were previously being able to offer a traveler to now what they were going to be able to offer one without. However, the positive side of, of having this vendor was, you know, for the hospital was probably a larger increase, I would imagine, in fulfillment. You guys may not like what I just said because you now probably realize that this swing in business model started costing travelers money, and it did because initially it would be a difference in what the travelers were being paid. 
what I was getting at a few seconds ago was that I said the bill rates would increase because if the fulfillment wasn't getting met, the hospitals would assume, well, it's because the rates are too low. So we're going to go up a couple of bucks. And really what they've just done is they've gone up those couple of bucks to compensate for the pay of the vendor. So now that the traveler was making the same kind of money as they were and the vendor had their piece of pie and the hospital is one that actually foot the bill for the additional $2.50 that they were required for them to get back into a supply and demand and a, a demographic that was gave the ability for us to pay properly, I'm sure eventually came out of the hospital's pocket. So it, it all evens out. But it's interesting to me that I would bet you that if you sat down with some very smart men and women at facilities that understood travel health care and how they're billed and paid, many, many, many would not realize that the fee that they're paying is coming out of the traveler's pocket in a roundabout kind of way. Not even a roundabout way. Kind of, I mean, the way I describe things is kind of a direct way. I bet the, the very, very intelligent men and women that are CFOs of facilities and that handle these decisions probably never really once thought about, oh, so if I've got a $100 bill rate and I'm paying an agent, you know, a vendor, or I mean, the vendor's getting 5%, that's really a $95. So I'm really, you know, they would probably rethink this, but I guarantee those conversations are openly being had by vendors to hospitals because the, the, the message probably is this doesn't cost you a cent. And theoretically, they're not, they're not kidding. It doesn't really cost them a cent, but it does cost them fulfillment. It lowers the ability for fulfillment. So there you go. That's the pro and con of both sides. Incredibly brilliant. And the first few companies that started doing this were way ahead of the game. And as you guys know, I believe in advancement. I believe in things that should help. I think this did help. I think overwhelmingly where I was wrong was I think I missed I missed the, the little fact that the hospitals wouldn't really notice that they would just absorb that rate. That was one thing I missed. The other thing I missed is I think that there has been things now, as I'll talk about here, that vendors now do to add to the placement, booking, credentialing, and fulfillment process that they weren't doing back when I probably was thinking that they wouldn't last. And so there's some things that they do. We'll talk about here, here as we go. So um, what happened instantly when this, when this started happening is you instantly were no longer allowed to talk to your hospital directly. If you had a contract or if you gained a contract through a vendor or one that was lost and, and moved to a vendor, you instantly are no longer allowed to communicate direct to the hospital. That's one thing you guys should recognize. If if the average, you know, 95% of agencies out there that do work through vendors, most of us do, we are not allowed to communicate directly with the hospital anymore because the vendor's afraid that they, they, they want to be in control of the conversation. They don't want a, an agency to steal or to, you know, say anything that's, that's not, you know, showing the, the best light of the vendor. So they kind of forbid that. Matter of fact, it's, it's a penalty and you can get kicked out of the entire system if you talk to and, and work directly with a hospital kind of around a vendor's back. None of us do it because it's a, it's a no-no. So that instant communication piece that I talked so heavily of early on here today, tonight, all of a sudden was gone. You no longer have great direct communication with your with your facility, which I kind of felt is is a little bit of a bummer. It's like, oh, we just lost the, what I felt was one of the biggest parts of what made each industry, or I'm sorry, each agency a nuance and, and good. It really separated a lot of agencies from ones that were good from ones that weren't good. Now we were all on a level playing field and the hospital couldn't really see or or tell or get to know us and what we were doing. And, and we'll talk more about 
you know, timekeeping issues and billing and everything else and payroll. A lot of this stuff started to exacerbate the lack of communication because we weren't allowed and still to this day are not allowed to communicate. We have to go through somebody else who may or may not have a vested interest in getting, you know, the question or the, the, the problem solved very quickly. So it becomes a bit of an issue. But the flow was instantly changed to now, instead of going like this, now it was going here to there and back here. And um, for me, for me, it marked a change in the industry that was both positive and negative. And I, I will admit that I first saw it and still kind of do as, as a negative aspect um, because it allowed substandard agencies to come in and just be incognito and just be throwing bodies at at a submission and at an opening you know you just i've got 20 er nurses i'll throw them at this job and it doesn't really matter because it's all about volume anymore it really was and all about getting the higher quality candidate you weren't able to sell your candidate to a facility you weren't able to explain to somebody hey i know this person only has a couple of experience but look at them they're you know they've worked in the bay area they're california licensed. they've got this sort of thing it was just here it is and i, I miss that part of it i think that part of it definitely hurts a good agency's ability to to effectively recruit a candidate. Now it's it's all about numbers. It's all about whatever, and that's and that's why we're taking it a next step further because it really is now about not selling you guys, and it's about it's a numbers thing. And I, I see it and get re- get rewarded and um, validated almost every day based upon what we're doing now currently. So another advancement, and again, there's pros and cons to everything, and I think we're in another one of those states of flux like we were you know 15 years ago with with vendors i believe we're in that period of time again right now so i guess what i'm saying is that we no longer could communicate now that goes to everything there is now a slice of pie that's been added the bill rates are increased but now literally we are at the mercy of a third party to sell you and that's still the case this day so you guys have to understand i get this all the time you know especially with the recruiterless app People are like, well, I, you know, what's, well, what have you heard from the hospital? Well, I want to say to these people that say that, we never hear anything. We never did. We certainly don't now. It's, I mean, it's really rare where hospitals say, hey, we really like Sally Smith. However, she's not, you know, right. What we're looking for, so we're going to move on from. They just don't tell you that. They just don't interview you. And travelers are oftentimes still looking for that some sort of feedback. Is what they say. What's the feedback? I haven't heard anything. What have you heard? We don't. We hear. We want your candidate, or we hear the job's been filled by another candidate, or they've been—it's close. That's the point of communication between us and and uh, you know hospitals anymore. It's almost down to nothing, which is why I believe a recruiter app really makes sense. Because what's the point? A recruiter can sell you, but their communication after you to us to them doesn't exist. So let's get rid of the communication entirely. Let's turn it into a complete numbers game, because that's really what it's become now. It's not. Let's get rid of the sales aspect because because the sales aspect on this side is gone. So why are we bothering selling travelers on how great we are as a company and how great this job is? You guys need to start treating things very similarly the way the hospitals are and that it is a numbers game for you as well. And that's why the Recruitus app just makes all kinds of sense. And other area, other avenues too, not just what we're doing, but other things that are automating the process, I believe, are, are really changing the industry for the better. But you guys got to jump on board with it because you'll see how much more effective and efficient you are. So there's my plug kind of for the day. So um, here's kind of how everything, I kind of want to walk you through how things kind of work. The way that this works is, again, all of us vendors 
sign up or are awarded a contract with a vendor. And I'm going to talk about the difference between an MSP and a VMS here in just a little bit. But it is it is part of that the game is that you want to get in, involved and you want to be awarded. Hey, I want, I'm going to play with XYZ vendor, and they say yes. We're going to we're going to let you be in our loop. We're going to give you access to our jobs, and we're going to allow you to bid on them, and we're going to allow you to actually place at the facilities we work with. Now, what vendors are doing currently is they are kind of weeding out new companies, weeding out companies that don't have uh, a lot of experience in the industry. They're 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 looking to make sure that they are getting the most bang for their buck. Kind of like hospitals used to do back in the day. They didn't just sign contracts with everybody. They wanted, they had enough, and they were getting their needs met. That was it was hard to get into them. So what vendors have realized is, and, I, and again, I can tell you this from from being a brand new company three years ago. Had it not been for a lot of the people that worked at Next Gen MedStaff and and people that knew who who we were individually, we wouldn't have gotten a lot of these contracts. But because you know, we've been in the industry for as long as we have, and people know what we're capable of. You know, again, individually, either as account managers, or you know, higher ups in our company, we were given contracts that I think most brand new companies would really have struggled with. For a lot of times, it was just a phone call. Hey, hey, it's me. So here's what we're doing. <laughs> here's what we want to do. Can we play? Yeah, we can because we've proven in the past that you have the ability to play. I really envy. Or I don't envy new companies trying to jump in to do the exact same thing nowadays because I can't imagine that's going to be easy for them to be able to just jump in and and get access to jobs that everybody wants to have. It's it's definitely more difficult. So I guess I'm going to look at my notes here because I want to make sure I'm saying this right. But the vendors are, are, you know, they charge fees to the agencies, but... There's really not a dis- lot of discussion about the fulfillment of, of you know, to the f- hospitals. It's more if, if they're not getting their needs met fulfillment-wise, they're going to open it up to more more of the agencies. And I'll talk about tiering as well down the road. But that's what they're, they're typically looking. If, if they have a hospital that's typically killing it and, and, you know, they've got 50 of us agencies that are working through that system, they're getting enough profiles and enough submissions that the managers at that facility are able to make good decisions and, and their needs are met and they're not getting you know complained about, then they're not going to open that system or that hospital up to another person. There's no need. But they will say, hey, we've got this hospital in the middle of nowhere that nobody wants to recruit for. If you can get us that, then we'll let you have that hospital. And then you can kind of prove yourself, XYZ agency, and start to build yourself into more and more uh, more and more opportunities. If you show us, you can you can hit these other these other areas. It's it's clever. It's it's a little unfair, but it's the way it is. I mean, why would they add more people to hospitals that are getting their needs fulfilled with their number of submissions they're getting? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So, um, you know, it's it's just part of how the whole thing works. So, bottom line was back 15 years ago there was another slice of the pie that was created it's moved up to about five percent so let's talk about some numbers here briefly just want to check my time make sure i'm okay and i'm doing really good here let's talk about the five percent fee because that is predominantly the most common currently i have seen seven i think it's insane i think some agencies were flirting with the idea they've gone up i will say this i will say that some vendors one comes to mind, they're at a 5% fee, but they also take an additional 2% off if they pay within 30 days, which last time I checked, that's when most invoices are due anyway. So they're basically taking 7% for paying on time. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, when I say there's other fees, that, that's part of it. But let's just talk some numbers. 
I, I mentioned I'm going to use some really easy numbers because I've done them here already, so I have to pull it out. But I'm, I want to go back to that $100 bill rate. That's that's kind of what we're seeing currently right now. We are seeing some systems in where I am here in Florida and maybe this, you know, the southeastern seaboard. I am seeing some rates that are ridiculously low and they're getting in fulfillment. So I always say don't shoot the messenger on those kinds of things. But I want to stick with a $100 bill rate and explain to you guys that on a $100 bill rate for an, a vendor that is charging a 5% fee, they're making $5 an hour every hour that each traveler is working. So if you look at that, it's $5 an hour, an average work week. Let's just say it's a 36. Let's not pretend it's a 40. Let's say it's only a 36-hour work week. If you take $5 an hour times 36 hours times 52 weeks in a year, you're talking about $9,360, which means a traveler that works on a $100 bill rate for, an aid, for a vendor that's charging 5% fee is worth over $9,000 for one employee annually. You take a thousand of those people, which is pretty normal. You're talking about over nine million dollars in top end revenue just for that five percent fee. Thousand employees working for a system is probably not that challenging for those bigger vendors that have that. I mean, where, where these are realistic and legitimate numbers. That's nine million dollars for a thousand travelers that a vendor is getting that those thousand travelers are not. If that makes sense to you guys, that's where it should sting you a little bit because it it does stink that that's where it's kind of gone to. The hospitals typically are paying this. The agencies, us agencies, we're making the money that we want to make because that figure is always carved out before we figure out our calculations. In other words, I don't calculate a you know a low margin, and I've already I already shared with you guys where I'm at. But just let's just put a let's go with a big company that's making a 30% margin. They're not doing 30% on a hundred. They're taking 30% of 95, which is a larger, bigger figure. We're not dumb enough to say, well, then we'll have to take the agency fee out efforts. No, this is based upon the amount of money we're expecting to collect, and in this case, it's 95 dollars, not 100. So. You know, it is it's a it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of money. This is not small dollars. And I'm sure there's some smaller mom and poppy type uh, vendors out there that probably don't have a thousand. But you can understand that. I mean, literally, if you had a hundred, you're making, you know, close to a million dollars a year, making nine hundred thousand dollars a year. That's not bad money, right, for just having that small amount. What's the overhead for that? And a couple of IT people. So it's a wonderful business to get into. For those of you guys that are thinking about getting into an industry. Think about getting into vendor management as opposed to going into an agency because there's enough of us walking around there and you don't have to shell a penny. The worst part about owning an agency is that you actually have to pay travelers up front for 60 days, which becomes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars quickly and turns into millions of dollars the bigger you get because you're floating that payroll. This is, there's no floating at all. It's, and I'll explain how it works. The hospitals pay the vendors first. Here's your $100. The vendor says, great. They get it pretty quickly, I would imagine. They turn around and say, okay, in a little while, we're going to sit on this money for a few weeks. We're going to sit on this dollars for a few weeks. We're then going to pay the vendor, I'm sorry, I keep doing that, the agency, $95 of what we got. We're going to keep the five. So they've got their money, and they didn't have to pay anything up front on it. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no cost of money. They're not, they're not spending their money except for on their internal employees and, and salaries and, and you know, their, you know, their, their progressions and their advancements on their IT and their website. So it is a really wonderful industry where it's just receiving of payments and receiving of dollars. I mean, I'll take that all day long. So you can kind of understand why it's, why it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one that I think most people are like, hey, I, I like to be part of that. 
All right, I want to talk real quickly about there's two different types of vendors. There's typically a VMS or a vendor management system. Now, these are the agencies, or the, sorry, the companies that do not recruit themselves. They literally are contract holders, and they, they take their positions, and they throw them out to different agencies and say, you work for us. They don't staff. They don't have a recruiting team. They're not interested in that. They were formed and created typically to just manage these different agencies, which is why they're a vendor management system. The, the MSPs or the managed, uh, managed service providers, remember the word provider is really what tips you off here. These are some of the companies that also recruit. And what they do is that when they can't make fulfillment, whether they're just so darn big or it's just another, another thing, they've said, well, we'll also, we'll do it our best to recruit. But we're also going to subcontract this out and allow other people to play. So we are a managed service provider, which means we're a recruiting company, we're an agency ourselves, but we're also going to subcontract these out. So it's kind of interesting because, I mean, we all play with both. I personally like uh, VMSs better because a couple of reasons. One of them is the jobs are given to us instantly. If you can understand, with a managed service provider, they're going to try their darndest oftentimes to get fulfillment on their own first. And if they fail, they're, they're worried about the facility saying, hey, come on, what's going on? Then they'll go ahead and subcontract it out. I've seen that before where they're basically delaying the job, giving their internal team a crack at it first, which definitely means that by the time an, a, a you know standalone agency sees that job, it could have already been out there for a week, which means there already could be people in front of it from that internal company's own submissions. So a lot of you guys are competing with somebody that's already been in front of that manager for a while. It depends upon how, long, how good he or she is on the interviewing process. Also, what they do is, again, they will oftentimes say, we're getting, you know, we're getting our, our, our fee of 5%. But I have seen, and believe it or not, they can call this ethical or not, but I've seen them say, it's $90 to you guys, which means not only are we going to take, you know, they're not saying it's a hundred dollars and we're taking five percent they're saying it's 90 and they'll take the five percent they're they're oftentimes used to be maybe that's not the case now but i know oftentimes back a while ago <laughs> they weren't always honest about what the rate was in other words you could say well is that what you guys are are billing oh well, that's not you know, what we don't know we'd find out later that their rates were higher so not only were they charging us a five percent fee but they were also lowering the opportunity so they were double triple dipping so to speak which means that it was really challenging. By the time our people would get there, if we were able to convince and sell them, they were definitely, you know, they weren't being paid as much as they should have been if we would have been playing on a level playing field. Here's what's kind of interesting, and I'm going to try to explain this because it's really wild. For some of the big, big companies, and follow me if you can on this one, and I know it's hard to do on a podcast and a YouTube channel, but for some of these big, big companies, their margin is so high, 30-plus percent these days. Think about this. If they are, in fact, billing a $100 bill rate, that means that they are working off of a $70 bill rate between you and Uncle Sam, a pay rate, I should say, pay package that's going to go to you and Uncle Sam. 70 bucks already went down that low. For a company that's working off a 20% margin, let's just say they only give them, and I'll try to do the math here, if they're only giving them, let's just say, a, a, you know, a, well, let's put it. Let's just do it straightforward. I'll try to do. I'll try to see if I can do the math here quick enough live. I didn't. I'm going to do it on my phone because I didn't bring my my calculator out here with me. I should have. But let's just pretend that it's in fact a hundred dollar bill, and the agency is still giving us the hundred dollars. But now it's only ninety five. If it's 
if you're looking at a $95 bill rate and after their fee and the agency only has a 20% margin, they're playing around with $76 instead of $70. Did you hear that? So a big, big company with a 30% margin oftentimes still couldn't and still can't pay as well as a subcontracted company provided they're still being offered the real bill rate of, in this case, $100 at a 20% margin. It's six more dollars an hour to you guys uh, on, a, on, a, on a weekly basis. And last time I checked, we're talking about $216 more a week gross, which means I've had this happen. Sometimes a company like, like the one I run is able to actually pay higher through an MSP than they can pay their own people directly because their margins are so darn high, if that makes sense. 216 bucks a week times, let's see, 13 weeks. That's 2808 times four assignments. We're talking about $11,000 a year more. So believe it or not, I've had times, and this is the truth case, where in this example, if someone was working with, with me and I'm just using a 20% margin, and we're below that actually now. We're at 18. So if someone was, was working at working with me at a 20% margin, subcontracted them, they would make eleven over $11,000 more a year gross working alongside somebody that has a direct contract with a big company. Is that nuts? But that's how little ripples can create big differences. That's why I always tell you, if you see a $50 an hour, a $50 a week difference, and you say, well, that's not a big deal, you know, I, I, that's 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 not a lot of money. It's twenty six hundred dollars a year. I mean, fifty dollars a week, you know, is twenty six hundred dollars a year. If you if you divide that by twelve months, we're talking about two hundred sixteen bucks a month. That's that's a that's a, a a decent car payment. I don't know about any more. The interest rates are so high, but we're not talking about chump chains. Even a small difference like that. That's why I'm telling you guys, when a company is throwing out their rates to you guys, and you look at what the gross difference is. Little differences multiplied out are huge differences if you really spend the time to do the math. So don't ixnay a company by saying, well, it's only 75 it's only $100 less a week, you know, and it's only gross, right? It's a lot of money. It can be significant amounts of money. We can talk about $4,000 a year literally by the company that you choose and obviously up to 11, 12, 15. Back in the, the COVID days, we talk about 20 grand a year just by the company that you choose. It's insane how much these numbers can really change and, and move around if you will spend the time to actually try to, you know, do the math on those. I urge you to. Okay, so let's kind of let's kind of get let's kind of get get going here a little bit more on this. So it's really fascinating to me that you know all these different advancements in vendors can oftentimes has oftentimes you know pulled you back as well. Here's one of the areas I think it has pulled back, and I I, I did agree that the efficiency of vendors, a lot of stuff is very very positive, and much to my chagrin, I didn't think I would I really would be. One of the areas that I'll defend that I think is not a positive is when it comes to credentialing. I believe wholeheartedly that the majority of vendors have actually stifled and hurt the credentialing process. It's tough enough as it is. When you've got somebody that you're having to report to and having a, another party look at and, and approve credentialing and then goes to the facility for final approval, it adds another step. And oftentimes, I'm just going to throw it out there, a lot of these guys and girls don't know what they're doing. Unfortunately, some vendors have, have put people in positions of credentialing that are, not all of them, but I'm telling you, I've run across where like, what is this person doing credentialing? They don't understand, what they, they don't even know what they're talking about, and they're actually hurting this traveler's ability to actually get started. You guys have experienced that before. You know you've you put in a quantifurin, and they're you know they're saying, well, I have to have a TB or the it, it, weird stuff. 
that that it doesn't make any sense that has caused delays in your ability to get started um, I'll put it this way my biggest gripe with vendors and credentialing is oftentimes they are they are so you know, uncommunicative with us about where we are we will upload documents for a traveler and it's days if not weeks sometimes until we get feedback on whether or not that's been accepted or approved and sometimes when it's not approved we're like why you had it for two weeks you had it for 10 days it's very frustrating for us and it gets very frustrating for you guys and understand that i think if it was not for that other party in the middle that's just you know not even telling us whether or not it's approved or not things would go quicker so i will i'll stand by my statement that i think overwhelmingly Credentialing is an area that I think having a vendor involved has hurt the industry. It's hurt you guys. It's hurt the hospitals. It's hurt everybody. Uh, I understand why. I mean, they, they're the ones that are you know signing off that this stuff is being done. That's part of the service they're providing for both the, you know the agency and the hospital. But unfortunately, I think sometimes they've got the wrong person in the wrong position. I put it that way. If they had somebody really good, and by the way, I've got vendors that kill it in this department. Absolutely awesome. Um, it's kind of hit or miss, and we know which ones have good credentialing people, and we know which ones have bad credentialing people. And we're like, oh man, if you got a if you got a if you got a traveler who is not great and not um, who, who procrastinates, and you've got that coupled with a vendor who typically has people that don't communicate well, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble with that two week or three week out deadline of getting that person credentialed. It's almost like never going to happen, uh, and it's frustrating because everybody wants it to happen, but you know. It, some people just don't have as much of a skin in the game, so to speak. So it is it is interesting. Here's what I will say. All agents, all, all vendors, I keep doing that, all this whole episode, all vendors have a hierarchy. I, I want to let you guys know this. Sometimes you'll say, well, do you have XYZ system? Yes, we do. We have that. Well, how come I'm not seeing jobs in this particular city? It's because that agency hasn't had all the floodgates and all the doors open to them. There are certain times when some vendors will give you everything and then sometimes when things are thinner they'll pull it back and only give it to those big big companies or those companies that are on the highest level tier because they want to make sure that they keep they're keeping them fed so to speak and they don't want everyone to compete because it makes it difficult doesn't make a lot of sense but they are trying to i guess tier it they have their own way of looking at it so it works for them but understand that just because you have a system and because you have a a vendor doesn't mean you're going to be able to see everything that they've got. And one of them comes to mind where it's just notoriously up and down, and it just depends on the time of year. The, the thinner things are, the more it really squeezes down. I've seen times where we're at 25% of what we have been before, or we're at 125% of what we typically see because they're really hurting for certain things. So know that that's kind of a thing. The one thing that I've been asked a lot lately for those of you that are looking to start your own agency, which we're gonna hopefully we're gonna talk more about as we get into, you know, I get back to Denver, we start looking at some things, is these are not easy to be awarded to. Like I said a few minutes ago, I mean I was lucky that people knew who I was. People certainly I've got I surround myself with people that have been in the industry for quite a while. They know who they are. We've gotten and we've been awarded contracts because of who we are and on our merit. If you're just starting out and they don't know who you are and you don't have a connection, it's really, really difficult to prove yourself. It's it's a lot of begging. Come on, let's give me something. And then it's a lot of going out and recruiting for jobs that you, and again, this is where the recruiting model really helps those those vendors is that you're recruiting for comp, you know, for places that you that you normally won't recruit for after this because you just want the darn contract. So it makes it kind of difficult. But I, I get this question asked a lot from new companies that reach out to me and say, well, how do you get all these vendors? And, I, and the answer is, you, you, 
tenacity. You just have to go out there and just keep going because they don't award them to everybody. It is, it is, it is really difficult. Um, if an agency is not producing for a certain vendor, they will pull that contract. And they will, you know, say you haven't produced anybody for a while. We're not going to work with you anymore, and they're going to give it to other people. I wish they'd do that more, but they don't. I wish they would keep those floodgates open. I think you would, should have, you know, a few months to start showing you can deliver. And if you can't, then let somebody else have a chance. It'd be, it'd be pretty good. I think that's just the way it goes. So. Um, I already talked about how the money flows and how things work, so I don't want to. I wrote that down here, but I'm not going. I've already kind of pulled that out. And um, you know, one of the things I will say is that when it comes to another, I think negative from a vendor standpoint is when it comes to timekeeping systems. This is where I think we really all struggle because, again, it's all predicated on the fact that we are not able and allowed to talk to directly to a facility. So lately. I guess since the first of the year, we've had a lot of issues with, with the, and, and I'm thinking of one system that uses Kronos a lot. The, the just travelers not even in there. Somebody's also, they're just not there. The whole, they work three shifts and who knows what, or they forgot to punch in and punch out. I've just had hospitals that are really struggling with their Kronos system. And because we're not able to call directly into that unit and say, hey, manager, I've got this traveler here who worked these three shifts. Can you verify? We have to put in for like a request for a change or for approval for all these shifts, it's really difficult because there's a vendor involved and they've got a process or, you know, they just won't pay. And I'll get a report. One vendor's terrible. They're just, they're the worst there is out there. You upload your timesheet to them and they basically, you know, after the payroll's already been going out and on a Friday I get, hey, here's what your traveler worked this week. You know, Gee, thanks. I see a, there's a, there's only, we paid the traveler for the three shifts that we uploaded the timesheet for. You've only guaranteed, you know, I guess, validated two shifts. So now you're going to pay us on 24, but the traveler's been paid 36, and now we're stuck in that awkward position that we're going to have to go out and pull money back from the traveler until this somehow gets approved. It's it's a nightmare. It's a mess. And it didn't used to exist when vendors weren't involved. I mean, if you have a great timekeeping system, it should run smoothly. But for those vendors that don't, it's it's a, a nightmare. So understand that sometimes when you're upset with your agency, we did one, we did an episode early on about payroll errors and realize that when you're upset with your company, sometimes it's not them. And I, I've been dealing with just an amazing amount of Kronos issues uh, so far this year that have just been a nightmare, just a nightmare, and all from pretty much one vendor. So I've been on them about, you know, we got to figure this out because this is unfair. We're, we're unlike most companies, I pay, and then I fight for the, the time, which is probably dumb, but I do that because... I, Travels are important to me. I mean, you guys, it's not your responsibility. But I do expect my vendors to pay me properly when we show, you know, authentic and legitimate and validated time. I expect that we ought to be paid as we're paying the travel every week. We shouldn't it shouldn't even be up for discussion. It drives me nuts when it is because it's it's a it's a problem with us because it can become big big numbers really really quickly as you guys can imagine. So, um, the communication, I guess, what I'm getting at. And, and fixing problems has become diluted because of, of the nature of this other party that's oftentimes involved because we aren't allowed to communicate you know, directly with them. So, um, you know, it's a lot of everything. The communication for interviews, the communication, to, you know, feedback, it, it does get convoluted. However, the efficiency and the effectiveness of communicating from a hospital standpoint, take you guys out of the equation, take yourself out of the equation for a moment, realize that you are sometimes just a number. You guys are. We all are. I'm a number when it comes to agency, so don't be offended by that. I'm saying when it comes to a hospital, they're looking at money, 
getting patient care so that that fanny can be in that bed and what they're looking for and they're looking at you as if you're a number how many ICU resumes and profiles do we need to look at till we find and consistently have the needs that we have when we want the traveler when we can't we've exhausted all our other employment options so that's what they're looking for so it has the vendor system has dramatically improved the volume of of fulfillment if you will if I'm saying that right for those those vendors and at the end of the day as I've always said, hospitals are the ones that pay these bills. So they're the ones that are experiencing the pain. You guys and us, we don't matter. It's are we getting the bodies met? And I do believe vendors have absolutely fulfilled that void and made that way more efficient than what it used to be. So hats off to them. It, it, it definitely works. Um, but I, but I, I guess, for lack of a better word, the communication part is really where it's, it's struggling. I don't care if we're talking about hiring, we're talking about timekeeping, we're talking about terminations. You know, a, a vendor just doesn't care. They're going to replace you with somebody else. They're going to have a couple of weeks where they're not going to get that 5%, but in a couple of weeks they're going to get it from a different company, and it doesn't matter to them what the, what the traveler was. I mean, I'm sure they have hearts, but at the end of the day, it's about getting those bills paid. So they're bummed out that they're not going to have any invoicing happening for a couple of weeks until somebody new comes along but unfortunately they're not looking at they're not they're not interested in helping us figure out why someone was terminated or what can be done or if there's anything that can be done to salvage it it just really aren't so there you go um here's what i want to say to wrap this episode because we've been going for a while i think i got most of the stuff in that i want to talk about do I think vendors are here to stay? I don't. <laughs> Not for the long term. I think what we're seeing is advancements in communications that will eliminate the need for a third party to communicate jobs through. I do believe the MSPs will still be a possibility. They'll, they'll last longer. I think VMSs are at some point, and I, I can't predict how long, but the, I, the technology is getting to the point where incredibly useful, but if that can be replaced by technology, which it already is, and a hospital can save, either a hospital can save that 5% or an agency can make that 5%, I think you're going to start to see some of those smaller VMSs disappear. We'll see if I'm right on that one. And I, I, I can't predict how long. But I, I answered a tough question, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything more than that. I just, I just, I just believe that at some point, there won't be that wrinkle and that piece of the pie. I think it's going to be. I think what I'm seeing is, travelers are looking for more and more money. Hospitals are unwilling to pay more and more money because, especially what they went through a few years ago, they are looking at ways to save money. And unfortunately, I see a vendor management system right in the way of that. There's we just I showed my example, nine million dollars on a thousand travelers. Imagine, you know, a hundred thousand travelers, what we're talking about. An insane amount of money. Let's just say it's twenty five or fifty thousand, you know, travelers. That's a huge amount of money. And I, and you know your your guess is as good as mine. I it ebbs and flows, but it, I did look at one point, I think between Allied and Nursing, there was right around fifty thousand travelers back a number of years ago is what I saw statistically. Which means you're talking about, you know, nine hundred million dollars if i'm doing that math right i think i am check me on that if there is 
50,000 travelers, five bucks an hour, and I'm totally talking about 36 hours, not the 40 hours, right? It's a lot, $900 million, that's a ton of money. So can't tell if I'm being cued to go. I think I probably am. Guys, this has been good. Vendors, they're here They're here to stay for a while. I'll say that. I know I just said that. I don't think they're here forever, but I do think they're here for a while. I think the technology's got some advancement and some movement to make before they get there. But if you asked me to answer a question and you, you truly needed an answer, that was my, my best guess. I don't think they're here forever. I see, I see things improving, and, and the smart ones will figure out how to be the catalyst for those improvements instead of being the victim of those, those improvements. So Whew. it was a lot. Guys, I appreciate it. Good night from sunny Florida. Not anymore, but beautiful Florida. We appreciate you. Catch you next time on Travel Evolved.